Uh, there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of um, people going to be with the Lord this year for whatever reason. Um, I guess one of the reasons is that we're just getting older, <laughs> right? So we're that just that much closer to going home, and and uh, and then the body itself. Personally, I've experienced quite a few memorials this year, and and for those of you who are on the prayer chain, you know that I have a very, very dear friend that I call a sister that has cancer, and they've only given her a couple months to live. So it, it's, it's always in the forefront. It's always going on. And, and through this set of scriptures, God has kind of made a new a realization, if you will, of how, how valuable life is. And more importantly, how valuable life is with God. And we're going to see that, I hope. So we're in the book of James, chapter 4, uh, verses 13 to 17. Now, I've got to tell you that I just love this book. He's very direct and to the point. I don't know about you, but I need that. I, I appreciate that fact that James is so direct. I need to be held accountable, and I need to be asked the hard questions. Now, I know I keep saying I need to, and I need to, but you've got to put yourself in that position. You need to ask yourself these hard questions when we start teaching on these things through the scriptures. And as you know, if you've been around for any length of time, we do not water down the scriptures. The truth speaks for itself. Amen, church? I can't hear you. All right. Thank you. I just want to make sure you're still with me. I need to be confronted when I take the wrong path. And James does that We've seen over the past messages that he's talked about a lot of different things, and each time he pulls no punches. He's talked about suffering and temptation. He's talked about response to the word, impartial love, righteous works. He even crucified our tongue, so to speak, when he talked about the tongue, humble wisdom, and and now as we're going to look self-indulgent, our worldly indulgence. I don't know about you, but I was really appreciating the fact last week that Pastor Michael was on a break and Shane was teaching until Shane taught. And then I go, oh my gosh, I thought I was going to get a break from the, from, the, uh, from the things that I had to take a look at myself with. And Shane comes out and delivers an awesome message and it just continues on. So I hate to tell you this, but we're back in James. And I got to tell you, as we study this and put these things into practice, these self-examinations, for me personally, I begin to realize how much I need Jesus. How much I need Jesus. How much I need his direction. How much I need his instruction. And I would say even more important than that, how much I need his grace. Are you there with me? We need his grace. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you, Lord, for waking us up this morning, a day that was not promised. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share your word. Thank you for my family that is gathered here this morning to hear your word. I pray, Lord, that you would fill each of us with your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, that we would be able to hear, Lord, and not just be the hearer, but be a doer of your word. I pray, Lord that I would decrease and that you would increase. I need your Holy Spirit. I need your power and I need your help. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and all the church said.
Amen. Open your Bibles to James chapter 4 if you're not already there. We're going to read through 13 to 17. Then we're going to go back and we're going to try to pick it apart a little bit. Verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, and we will go to such and such city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing and to do it, and does not do it, to him it is sinned. So right out of the gate we see here, he says, Come now, you who say, there's a confrontational statement James is bringing. Come now, you who hear, or you who say. And he's asking him, there's a sense, when, you, when, when he's reading through this or when he's conveying this to us, we detect a sense of arrogance. And only arrogance comes when we think that we have control over time and over the events of our life. It can happen when we think we got it going on and we got it made and we're doing all the right things and we're doing it our way. But I beg to differ. The arrogance is supposed as we continue in this, and it says today or tomorrow, there's a sense of, you know what's going to happen. We will go to such and such a city, spend a year there. Then we're going to have a business, and we're going to make a profit. What does the Lord say about arrogance? Let me read it to you. Arrogance can be defined as an attitude of superiority. And being full of self, hmm, ouch, or having an extreme form of pride. It can be manifested in an overbearing personality. Know any of those? That makes it hard for others to be around. They usually have an inflated ego and a sense of self-worth that is highly overestimated and an arrogant person can be presumptuous or claim to be superior and all others are deemed to be far inferior and that they feel that they are much, much better than others. Do you know anybody like that? What does God think about arrogance? The book of Psalms has a lot to say about arrogance. Probably more than any other book, it says, the arrogant cannot stand in your presence, Psalm 5.5. Or in the presence, or in God's presence, says, to the arrogant, boast no more, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horns, Psalm 75, 4. A wicked person will pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting, Psalm 94, 4. But God will rebuke the arrogant for who are accursed, those who stray from your commands, Psalm 119, 21. The psalmist also wrote, may the arrogant be put to shame, Psalm 119, 78. And what will be the end of the arrogant? The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, Isaiah 2.11. We have a tendency sometimes when things start going well to think that we are in control and we have it going on. We become boastful and pride, prideful and arrogant. 
So when you see things like today or tomorrow, how does he even know what's going to happen today or tomorrow? Can he see into the future? Can you, you know, you can project, you can think, you can want to. And I'm not saying don't plan, or he's not saying don't plan. I have a planner right here. And my planner is full of stuff. But I hold my planner like that because it's subject to change at a moment's notice. I can't tell you how many times we have planned to do something and God has intervened and had us go another direction. You, I'm sure you can attest to that in your own life. You've planned to go to the beach. You've planned to do this. You've planned to have people over for dinner, whatever the case might be. And for whatever reason, the plans went awry and something even better came up. Something that glorified the Lord. Maybe somebody came into your life that you need to witness to that you need to talk to. The other day, I, I, at my lunchtime, I, I go over to Butterfield Park and I walk. Walk a couple miles on my lunch hour. And as I was walking, I, or I had parked my car under a tree. And there's not a lot of shade there. But my plan was to go there and to park and to walk and get my couple miles like I normally do every day. That's my plan. But God changed that plan when a car parked up next to me and there was a woman in there holding her head and sobbing and crying. So I, at first I'm thinking, well, you know, it's a woman, number one, but we're out in the open air and I'm debating with myself and I'm debating with God. And so I take a lap around the track and I come back, she's still there. And come to find out she, through a set of circumstances, her husband died of cancer, all of a sudden, she's homeless. She goes, I don't understand what happened. Overnight, I am now homeless. And the city of Corona, she says, won't help. My point to this is that I had the opportunity to help. And I don't say that out of boasting. I'm saying as a simple example of how, how you can have a plan to do something and God brings something else in that changes that plan. And we need to be ready and available for that plan. So how could he say today or tomorrow? Yeah, we have an idea, but sometimes we get redirected. How can we even say to such and such a city that he's so sure about where he's going to go? We hear people all the time go, man, when I retire, I'm going to move over there, I'm going to move here, and I'm going to move there. How do you know? Because that's where I would like to go. That's where I would love to retire. Sedona, Arizona. Yeah, baby, that's where I want to retire. But God may have another plan. He may die right here in Corona. Okay, well, if that's your will, so be it. Just stand me up in the corner. No, just kidding. <laughs> ah, you get it. I'm glad you guys are awake. So then he says, spend a year there. That's a year commitment. How did he know he can make it a year commitment? How do you know that something won't come along in the way and and change that plan. Engage in business and make a profit. How in the world? You know what? I, what if you have, how many of you guys? No, I'm not going to do that. I've tried to open a business and it didn't work. Let's just say a few times. But my plans were, yeah, baby, he's going to make money, man. I'm going to make money, my plans. And if business failed. Back in 19, real quick, back in 1980, 79, I wanted to drive the big truck and make a living. The big diesel truck, maybe. That's what I wanted to do. 
But because I had no experience, nobody would give me a job. <laughs> Silly fool. So I went and bought a truck. Didn't know how to drive it. Didn't, know, didn't even know I had to go call a friend to come and drive it off the lot for me. Because I, I didn't know how to drive the darn thing. So over the course of time, my idea was to buy this truck and, and to make money. Number one, I bought the wrong truck. I wanted to haul dirt locally, and I needed two, just a single axle for that. And I ended up buying a two-axle, which made, the, made it too long, so I couldn't do what I wanted to do. So then I had to go and I had to drive long haul, drive across country, which is something I didn't want to do, but that's something I had to do. The point being, and all that, and all that being said and done, I lost everything. Lost everything. Deregulation set in. A lot of, ex lot of excuses set in. But it was something I wanted to do. It wasn't something God had planned for me. I wanted to do that, me. And God had other plans. So how can I say I'm going to engage in the business? What does it say about pride? There are so many proverbs that deal with pride. 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but the humble but with the humble is wisdom. 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 29, 23, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. James, we talked about in verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace, therefore it is God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 16.5 of Proverbs, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Do you know how much God hates punish our pride? Open your Bibles, hold your place there at James, and go back to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, you're going to know this, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. Because I'm in control. I'm just kidding. <laughs> God's, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> anyway, so look at verse uh, 16, Proverbs 6, 16. There are six things which the Lord hates. Seven, yes, seven, which are an abomination. An abomination to him. 17, haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. Haughty means proud, arrogant, vain, conceited, snobbish, superior, self-important, God hates these things as he continues. A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among brothers. But for our purposes here, it's the haughty eyes. He hates that. He hates that when we start stepping out and think that we got it going on and we got the control of everything. When the reality is we have control over very, very little in the big scheme of life, we have no control over our life as it, as it attains to life and death. You had no control over when you were born, and i got to tell you, you'll have no control over when you die. James 4.14 reads, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Turn over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 16. When you're there, say amen. 
16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of the rich man was very productive. He began reasoning to, he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones in there. I will store all my grains and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So it is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. A lot of emphasis on the eye there. And the eye was talking about himself. It wasn't not talking about God. He was trying to do this on his own circumstance. And he said, and God says, you fool, your soul is required. And who is going to take your stuff then? I was listening to Chuck Swindoll the other day on the message. And he was talking about this very thing about a vapor. And he says, when you come to my house for dinner, you will eat on my good china. He says, a lot of times people have this big fancy china and they put it up in a cupboard and they never use it or maybe they use it once in a lifetime for special occasions. I'll throw my wife under the bus for a second because I love her. Oh, it's not, it's not good. I'll clean it up. Lord, clean it up. We have a set of china and I said, wife, why don't we use it? Oh, that, that belonged to my aunt, so-and-so, and so-and-so. What good does it do? Who, what good does it do to sit in a cabinet and not use it? <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. <laughs> many, uh, many moons ago when, uh, when you could go to Disneyland without refinancing your house, Um, I went into this store, I wanted her to watch. So I'm looking in the counter, and they have all these different Mickey Mouse watches and different things and all that. And I said, I, I wanted to buy one. I thought they were really neat. It was Mickey and the, he had a dress on. No, he had a gown. Uh, uh, robe. Yeah, let's go for the robe. That sounds good. He had a robe on. Anyway, and it was numbered on the back like, 80-something, I don't know. I guess they only made like 100 of them. So I, I bought it, and I told the guy, fix it up, I want to wear it. And the guy standing next to me goes, what are you doing? What are you doing? That, that's a collector's item. I said, dude, I didn't buy it to collect it. I bought it to wear it, and I bought it to enjoy it. So many times we do this, right? We, we take things and we try to do it our own way. We try to just stuff them away. So what will our life be like tomorrow? I'm not sure. I don't even know what I'm doing this afternoon. <laughs> How many can attest to that, right? Sometimes you just don't know. Oh, okay, I have plans. I might go to dinner this afternoon, but where am I going to go? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. It's, it's not 
that particular thing is really not that important in the moment anyway. Yes, I have thoughts and I have some plans. Like I said, I have a, a no planner and all that stuff. But the idea is simply this, that you have these and you hold them loosely in your hand. One of the ideas that's been floating around in my head is that life is but a vapor. And what that means and how it applies to everyday life. A vapor is defined as a haze, a mist, a steam, a condensation, moisture, and every once in a while you'll notice that we have a haze on the stage, but it, it just lasts for a, a few seconds, maybe a minute or two, and then it dissipates and it's gone. And really that's, that's much like life. In the span of life, a vapor is very short-lived and it's gone. And as far as earth is concerned, it's gone permanently. One of the things that I like to do, and some people will say, well, some people, have, some of you will probably say, well, that's weird. But if you know me, that's not weird for me. Some of the things I like to do is I like to look at old pictures or old paintings. And I like to look at the faces on them and and, and when I, I kind of like focus in on one, and I wonder, who is that? Who, who is this person that's in this picture? What's their story? Where, where are they from? Where did they grow up? What did they do for a living? What did they, what did they, what, who, who are they? And what I come to realize is that a vapor is a very, very short span of time and life. There's going to come a time, providing the Lord doesn't come first, that nobody will even remember, nobody on this planet or this world will remember that you even existed. It's heavy. I'm going to give you a case in point. Would you give me that picture, please? I know it's not a good picture. It's an old picture. Anybody know who that is? Some of you might know, but that's only because I told you. And you're not supposed to tell nobody. It's not the best quality, but it's good for this illustration. I want to try, try to drive a point home. We don't know, you don't know who this man is. You don't know his history. You don't know where he came from, occupation, where he was born. And if I would ask any one of you, you'd say no, except for those that I told. <laughs> well, this guy... He was born October 20th, 1932, in Boonville, Mississippi. He met a woman uh, from Jackson, Tennessee, named Mabel Messer, and they got married. They ended up moving to California and um, settled in El Monte, California. They had a couple of children, a boy and a girl. And 
life just went on. He was 32 years old in that picture. And I just want, the point I want to prove here is, is life is like a vapor. It's here and it's gone in a heartbeat. When I think of today or tomorrow connected with a vapor and the plans changed, I think of January 19th, 1963. Picture this, if you will. And you can do this in your own mind with your own, with your own situations. January 19th, this was a Saturday, 1963. Day like any other day, it was a today. It was a today like any other day. We played and did different things. Mom and dad were home Saturday, watched TV, played darts, played pool. Just had a good day, stayed up late, putting together a puzzle. Had a good time, went to bed about midnight. Eight o'clock in the morning, uh, next door, playing with the neighbor kids. Ambulance rolls up to the house. Right behind them is aunt and uncle, roll up behind the house. I roll up behind the ambulance. I go in the house, and I decide I better get home. So I go back to the house, and they won't let me in the house. They said, don't go in the house. After a little bit of time, they come out. And they said, your dad is dead. Now, I don't say this for you to feel sorry for me. We all have had situations in life where things are but a vapor and the hard things. This is the hard, transparency things of life. For tomorrow is going to be a Sunday this particular day, January 20th. It was going to be a day of rest again. The plans were, it was going to be baseball in the street. Remember when you could play baseball in the street? We played wiffle ball and we played softball. It was going to be a day just like any other day, but in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, things have changed. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are even probably living it in the moment. But do not be despaired. Do not be downhardened. Because God is still on the throne. Forever, forever at the age of 10, this will be written on the tablets of my heart and imprinted on my brain. But what this really does is it tells me and reminds me, because sometimes I am very shallow, sometimes I forget, but it tells me how valuable, how fragile, and how precious life is. So it gives me a new taste, a new fervency for life itself. Sometimes it takes those things to understand. Now the interesting part is when I said, when I had told you at some point nobody's going to know who you are. Let me clarify that just for a second. Yes, that is a picture of my dad. Yes, that is the only picture I have. And yes, I am the only living person that I know of 
that, had, that knows him or had a relationship with him. So the idea is that when I die, when I go to be with the Lord, he will be no longer ever remembered on this earth. Somebody better say amen. Because it's true. And that's just the harsh reality of life. So nobody knows what tomorrow is really going to bring. In James 4.15 it says, Instead you ought to say if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So when you, when you look on the surface of verse 13, I'm going to do these things, I'm going to plan these things, you'll look at that and you'll go, wow, that's, that's, what's wrong with that? Isn't that the American dream? Isn't that what we should be doing? Isn't that, you know, what we're supposed to do? But as a believer, as a Christian, as somebody that calls Jesus my personal Lord and Savior, there's something really wrong with it. And the part that's really wrong is the sin of omission. Whoops, you can go back to the other. It's the sin of omission. Omission, again, is omitting something. In this case, it's omitting God out of the equation. And when you start omitting God out of the equation, then pride, arrogance, and all these other things start flooding in, and we start believing our own press. It's more about, here in this set, it's more about what's not said than what is said. And what is not said is, where's the Lord in all this? There's a bumper sticker out there that says, God is my co-pilot. You guys remember that one? I was thinking, uh, I want God to be my pilot because I'm a lousy co-pilot. <laughs> or, I'm a, or I want God to be my pilot because I'm a lousy pilot. I want him to direct my path. I I just want to, I want to be on the coattails. I want to be following him. I want to be moving forward with hanging on to every, with him with every ounce of strength and power I've got. So we ought to say, if the Lord wills, I will go here or I will go there. One of the things I like to say is that I hold my plans very loosely because I never know which way God is going to turn them and shape them and mold them. <laughs> Many years ago, I went to another church here in Corona. Uh, it was a Calvary in Corona. <laughs> Do you get it? I'm not going to tell you the name. <laughs> anyway, I went to another Calvary in Corona. <clears throat> and uh, the worship pastor there, and I'm not going to tell you his name was Dave, but Pastor Dave, I'm not going to tell you that either, but Love the man. Uh, he was very gracious and allowed me to be a part of the choir. And one of the things that, one of the things, or many things that he taught and told me along the way was, and I know that most of you have heard me say this before, is, blessed are the flexible, for they will not be broken. And that is so apropos for this message. And what do I mean by that when about the choir is that yeah, Pastor Dave was ahead of the choir, but he always watched the senior pastor because the senior pastor had ultimate control. He had the ultimate call over the service. And as we know here, sometimes there's one or two or three or four extra verses 
along the way or sometimes an extra chorus or an extra song. And, and so sometimes you just have to be flexible. You have to be willing to go with the flow and, and just accept what's going on, whatever God is directing The phrase, we will live. It's interesting to me because it wasn't until I let go and let God that I really start to live. Again, I'm just using myself as an example. Fill in the blank with your name and history and let that minister to you. Let that speak to your heart. It was for 40 years that I ran my own show. 40 years, some were good, some were bad. In fact, in fact, uh, this is kind of funny. There, there's a, there was a couple of songs that uh, really permeated the area that I grew up, and you'll have to, and some of you will remember. But one was recorded in 1968, it was by Sammy Davis Jr. It says, I gotta be me. You remember that? I gotta be me. Okay. <coughs> whether I'm right or wrong, whether I find a place in this world or never belong, I gotta be me. I gotta be me. Who else can I be but what I am? I think he quoted Popeye. <laughs> and there was another song in 1969 written by Paul Anka, but it was sung by old Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra, My Way. I did it my way. Oh. And now the end is near, so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear and state my case, of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway, but more, much more than this, I did it my way. And that's what we did, and we did it our way. And my our way, or my mar our way, <laughs> My our way or my my way got me in jail. Best thing that ever happened to me was being thrown in jail. Gave my life to the Lord, surrendered. I'm not perfect, not even close, but I'm better than I'll ever be or ever would be before without Christ. Christ is the key factor in everything that we say and everything that we do. Every place that we go, every place that we think we should go. We need to know if Christ is in the middle. Is there any golf fans here? Let me, let me explain something to you before I read this. I was playing golf uh, the other day, and I'm, I was trying to think of some kind of a story to tell, of what we do, tell stories so, sometimes, <clears throat> that are relative to the message. And I'm on the golf course, and I get this text from a friend of mine, and it's this story. And the story is, who's your caddy? And I'm on the golf course. Now, for those of you who don't know, a caddy is somebody that carries the golf clubs for the golfer. But the caddy is really more than that. In the professional realm of golf, the caddy to some degree, is sometimes even better than the golfer themselves. They may be retired or disabled or whatever the case might be, but they actually study the course before they play. 
They have, if you ever watch golf, you'll see the caddy and the golfer will take out notepads. And they're taking notes on every, just about every inch of every hole that they play. So the caddy's role is very, very crucial. You'll, you'll hear them talking amongst themselves and sometimes debating, you know, should I use a six iron or a five iron or, you know, whatever the case might be. And, they're, and so they're really talking and working out. So remember that in, in light of this little story I want to tell you. In Isaiah 30, 21, out of the New Living Translation, it says, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will sway. This is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. And so the God, God would be here, and he's telling us which way to go. Are we listening? So this gentleman, Mr. Tommy Bolt, he was the winner of the 1958, yeah, there was a 1958, wow. Okay, U.S. Open. He tells the story of an incident he had with a caddy during one of his tournaments. This was before professional golfers had their own caddies as they do today. So Mr. Bolt arrived at the golf course for the tournament and was approached by this youngster. Uh, Mr. Bolt, do you need a caddy, sir? And the lad seemed a little unseasoned, so Mr. Bolt replied, I'll let you know, kid. And then he went to the caddy master and asked about the youngster. He said, he's a real good caddy, the man said. He knows the course, he knows the greens, and he knows the rules of the game. But he talks a lot. So Mr. Bolton went back to the youngster and said, you can caddy for me on one condition. Don't say a word. Ring a bell. God tells us stuff and we don't, listen. We don't respond. We don't. But the kid accepted and carried the bag for the open champion. The first round went well. The second and the third. And then Mr. Bolt was in contention for the fourth round when an errant tee shot landed him in the rough. The ball was sitting down in a bad patch of turf with a risky shot to the green guarded by water on the right. So Mr. Bolt asked the kid, you think a five iron will do the trick? The kid shook his head no, but he never said a word. What do you want me to hit, a six iron? And again, the kid shook his head no, did not speak. So Mr. Bolt grabbed a six iron and lashed at the ball out of the rough, and the rough land, and the ball landed on the green, and it rolled to about three feet from the hole for a birdie. As they walked to the green, Mr. Bolt said, Aren't you going to say anything now after seeing a shot like that? Patting himself on the back. The kid replied, Mr. Bolt, that wasn't your ball. <laughs> wow. Many of us go through life like that. We never let the caddy speak. In this place, we never let our daddy speak. We have a tendency to think that we know better. And he's the Holy Spirit. If we would only listen to him, engage in conversation with him, he would save us, if you will, many penalty strokes. Verse 16 and 17. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Verse 17, therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. See, it was arrogant bragging about the anticipated business accomplishments that was coming out. And they knew boasting was wrong, but they omitted God from the situation. 
They thought themselves more highly than they ought to, and they began boasting and bragging, bagging, bragging about those accomplishments. That's translated three times. <laughs> Just wondering, are we guilty of that as well? Things are moving and shaking, and they're going well. Everything's all good on the Western Front. And we take God out of the equation. We want to take control, like the pilot, co-pilot. We want to take control of the situation. We start believing our own press and success. And the next thing you know, we have forgotten where all of our blessings have come from. My friends, it's so easy to do. We say that we won't do that. But I think that we all need to be on guard. And I'm speaking to myself, man, when things come up. I got to remember that God's in control of all these situations. God has put us each in a role and in a specific spot for such a time as this. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, part of being a living sacrifice is surrender, and surrender means to give up. And in the case that we're talking about, it's giving up control of our own life, our self-indulgence, our worldly indulgence, and understanding that God has control of all things. Verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Listen, the God and creator who made the heavens and the earth, who knows you intimately from beginning to end, wants to direct your path. Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will direct our path or make it smooth. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, what? says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we change. Today is the day that we let go and we let God. Are you committed to the sin of omission? Are you leaving God out of your plans? My suggestion would be to give it up today, for today is the day that we can change. See, you're accountable for what you know. Maybe you're saying, I already knew this. But maybe you never understood this, and now you do. I don't know. When we leave God out of our lives, we invite pride, we invite arrogance. And one other thing that you may not understand is we invite the discipline of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily want the, dis the uh, discipline of the Lord. I'm going to close with this following statement. I just wrote this this morning because I was thinking about it, and I go, I don't want to leave you guys on a bummer. This, I don't know how you took it, but putting this together was pretty heart-wrenching in that I had to relive a lot of things, and I had to be really transparent. And if you're reliving those things, and you're understanding, and you're, and you're understanding you know, the, the um, frailties of life now and how fragile you are and how fragile we are collectively as, as a body of Christ, 
I don't want you to go away feeling downhearted or beat up to the point where, you know, there's despair. There is no despair in Christ. Amen? Listen, I don't, I just wrote this this morning, and I'm just going to read it to you. I don't want you to leave feeling like there are not good days or tomorrows. Because there is and will be to come. I just put down three quick things about myself. Again, please, fill your own stuff in. But just for sake of demonstration, number one, the day I met my wife was a good day. And on the, mar- on the tomorrow we got married was even better. Number two, the day I ran into Pastor Michael was a good day. And the tomorrow of standing here before you today is even better. And the most important out of all three is the day I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior was a good day. And tomorrow, when I see him face to face, it will be even better. So don't be discouraged. All of today's good or bad has made us the better tomorrow's today. In Jesus' name.